Hi, I'm Keith Law, and welcome to episode 33 of The Keith Law Show. My guest today is going to be Lavelle Neal of the Minneapolis Star Tribune. We're going to talk a lot of twins, uh, which I think is of interest, obviously, to twins fans. But they have a lot of players I find really interesting from a more national perspective. If you're just a general baseball fan or an avid fantasy player, twins have a number of players on their roster who might be leaving their roster who I hope will be of interest to those of you who aren't just following the twins. Little administrative stuff first. I have had a couple of columns go up since the last podcast. I did a ranking of the top 20 players under age 25 on postseason rosters. That was before round one, so a lot of those players have already gone home. Then over the weekend, I posted what would be my ballots, my hypothetical ballots for the six major player postseason awards. So this year's MVP Cy Young Rookie of the Year awards. I did not get a ballot once again this year. Draw your own conclusions. But that did free me up to talk about all six at this point. I'm also going to have a piece going up later this week on what went wrong with the Phillies. That is a collaboration I'm going to do with my colleague, Megan Montemoro. She's actually taking the lead. I'm just going to add some perspective on the minor league side of things for the Phillies in the wake of Matt Klintak stepping down and their search for a new GM, which may even extend into 2021. As always, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, on Amazon. You can also subscribe directly through the uh, through the Athletic app. Uh, if you do subscribe, especially on iTunes, please leave us a rating. I always appreciate five stars. Most of you have done that. I do see those ratings. I see those reviews, and it does mean a lot to me. I'm pleased to hear how many of you seem to be liking the show. Uh, if you want more of me, if you cannot get enough Keith Law in your life, you can follow me on Twitter at Keith Law. You can also find my free email newsletter, which I mentioned because it's Monday as we record this. I'm going to write and send out a new edition later today. And hopefully if I tell you I'm going to do that, I will actually follow through and do it. You can subscribe at tinyletter.com slash Keith Law, K-E-I-T-H-L-A-W. And finally, as we head into the holiday gift buying season, I must remind you all, because I feel obligated to do so, that I have two books out, The Inside Game, which came out earlier this year, and Smart Baseball, which came out three years ago. The Inside Game is still in hardcover. Smart Baseball you can find in paperback. Obviously, you can find these in digital editions as well. I'm going to tell you that they make great gifts. I think they do. I hope they do. I don't actually know if they do, but we're going to assume that they do for the purposes of this podcast. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Now it's my pleasure to be joined by my friend Lavelle Neal. Lavelle has been covering the Minnesota Twins for the Star Tribune in Minneapolis for more than 20 years now. 23. 23 years. Michael, we're yep. getting old, man. We were just kids, right? I know. My first year was Paul Molitor's last as a player. Wow. Yeah, you got me <laughs> yeah. beat. My first year in baseball with the Blue Jays was 02, and I was still in my 20s at that point. That is very hard for me to believe, hard for me to remember what that felt like, especially now yeah. on my cr- creaky knees. So <laughs> so first of all, Laval, thank you for joining me. You are uh, quite available this week because the team you cover <laughs> is no longer playing. That's true. What went wrong? Why can't these poor twins win a playoff series? 
for the second consecutive year, you know, got into the postseason and they changed personality. They went from a team that would take good at bats. And even if they were having tough days at the, at the plate, a couple guys would do something mm-hmm. to move the chains and keep some semblance of an offense. But two straight years now, last year against the Yankees. And uh, this year against Houston, they just totally shut down. And they tried to take good at bats. Other guys chased. Uh, but they couldn't even put the bat on the ball. Both games, one and two. Yeah, the bases loaded in the first inning and did not score. You know, that changes everything. When you get that first blow in that early on a team and they were un- uh, unable to. Um, and the other weakness, too, is that left-handed pitching has been a problem for them all year. I believe their OPS is more than 100 points uh, lower than their OPS against right-handed pitchers uh, during the regular season. So I think teams figured that out because as soon as um, as soon as uh, uh, Zach Ricci came out in game one, here came Framber Valdez. And then they start Uquiti, a rookie, and they brought in another guy. And so they attacked that left-handed, left-handed weakness of the Twins in those two games. And there you go, seven hits in two games, and, and that's it. What I thought was interesting and why I don't buy into, oh, that the, the, this is some like systemic problem, why the Twins haven't won a playoff series in whatever it is, 14 years or something. Right. It, I mean, this is very much, not only is it not the same personnel, but it's not the same kind of team like those old twin team twins teams for a long time they eschewed power and it was all about contact and what you saw wrong with the twins and i was going to bring up that issue it seemed like they were either getting bases loaded or getting men on second and third multiple big scoring opportunities and they couldn't seem to get the ball in play and that yeah. that is very untwins like to me it just broke down in many ways I'm, I'm more thinking about this uh eighth inning of game two Nelson Cruz got a hanging breaking ball right down the middle of the plate. And that ball should still be traveling. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pitch that he's hammered all year long and he swung minorly and missed it there. You know, how, why does that happen when he was on everything up until that point? Mm-hmm. I, I'm convinced that there's, there's sawdust at home plate right now from <laughs> the Twins players holding their bats too tightly when they're at the plate over these last two games. You know, so I, who figures it? And the 18 game postseason losing streak is disappointing. I mean, it's, it's tormented the fan base here. Mm-hmm. They're just demoralized over this thing. But it was 16 before the series began. And I believe in 11 of those 16 games, they were the underdog. And many of those games against the Yankees. I think they've ever been favored to beat the Yankees in some of those. No, no. But still, you would expect that someone would come through uh, or someone would, something would break right or a pitcher would have a dominant performance and win one of those games, and it hasn't happened. Rocco Baldelli, you know, they threw the losing streak at him last year. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't been here. Right. This year, like This year, he's like, yeah, I, I understand it now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other thing, too, the young core, the Eddie Rosario, Buxton, Max Kepler group, they've now lost six straight on their own. So we got two streaks going here. So um, the, the struggle is real. <laughs> yes. It's really, it was tough to watch. I don't have a rooting interest, obviously, but I've followed yeah. a lot of these young players. I've seen Byron since he was in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kepler, I followed. I remember doing a story on him when he first signed. It is just disappointing to see these guys struggle in situations where I think they're ready. I mean, that was the other surprise to me, especially because you get to get to your point here, the point you just made. Like they weren't the underdogs here. This is not the Houston of the last no. couple of years. Particularly, look at the starting pitching. There's no Garrett Cole there. It's not the kind. Not not that these guys are are weak starters, but it's not the kind of dominant starting pitching that would make you say, "Oh, Houston's got a huge advantage over the Twins." But it looked that way, and it felt to me as 
an outside observer who hasn't seen as much of the Twins as you have this year, certainly. Mm-hmm. It's just they made these guys look better. These guys yeah. pitched pretty well, but yeah. the Twins definitely played into those pitchers' hands with a lot of their giving away a lot of at-bats, chasing a lot of pitches, especially in situations where contact would have been preferred. Right. Hey, how many rookie pitchers did Houston get through the season with, too? I mean, they spent a chunk of their season just trying rookie after rookie to yep. pick. And three of them, because I misspoke earlier, it was three rookies that uh, Houston threw with the Twins in the two games. Yeah. Yes, you're and, and um Javier. Javier. Yes. And they mean those guys look like they were seasoned veterans. <laughs> so and meanwhile, you know, the one thing my one my, my one nitpick with Rocco is that he's he's a he he's kind of rigid with some of his pitching decisions. And mm-hmm. one guy goes two times through the order, you know, he's ready to get the bullpen in the game. He yep. pulled he pulled uh made after 91 pitches. He pulled Jose Barrios in game two after 75 pitches. He has struggled in the fourth inning, came back and righted himself in the fifth. Was sitting at 75 pitches, Rocco said, that's it. And Barrios looked devastated, you know, that he wasn't going back out there. Sure. To me, I call it re- reliever roulette. When you start swinging a bullpen door open, you start bringing in relievers, all you need is one to be off that day, and your plans are all blown to bits. That, uh, I, and I've known Rocco a long time since he was scouted. We scouted a lot of players together. I remember going to see Bubba yeah. Starling together with him. I have a feeling, and I haven't asked Rocco about any of this post, after, since this uh, right. since this series, but just what you're describing to, that's the Tampa Bay model. But that model comes out of Tampa Bay's approach to, we're not going to have a lot of high-end starting pitching. They're not going to sign those guys because they're not spending that kind of money. So instead, they've tried to develop uh, many pitchers who are once or twice through the order guys, knowing, well, this guy's not good enough to be a seven-inning starter in most scenarios, but can we make him a four- to five-inning starter and build this tremendous bullpen, which they have done this year uh, in the last couple of years? So that paradigm works with the pitching staff that Tampa Bay had. Maybe that's not the ideal fit for the Twins, who do spend a little bit more money and who've been a little bit more creative. Getting a guy like Maeda, who is at least, you know, I'd say he's like a two-and-a-half times through the order guy. You get him through two times through and see how he's looking, how many pitches he's throwing right. to do you it. you got to watch him, yes. Right. He's He's more than just the two, you know, they call them five and dive guys. That's like old school, but you know, five innings and they're out. I feel like Maeda isn't quite that type of guy. Whereas with Tampa Bay, a lot of their starters turned it other than Blake Snell. Almost all their starters would be that type of guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's intriguing how different teams approach that. And yes, Rocco, you know, working with Kevin Cash and the guys with the, with, with the, with the, uh, with the race, has probably been influenced on that. And then, you know, Wes Johnson, the pitcher coach probably believes in it as well. Cause we talk about that a lot, you know, the two times through the order thing. Um, and my thing is this though, in a short series, um, you, you get short circuited one game and the next, you know, game two, everything's on the line. And I think you get, you have to consider putting your most, keeping your most talented pitcher out in the mound if he's being effective and see how it goes. Jose Brios has three pitches. He has mm-hmm. different breaking balls now, you know, give him a shot to see if he can, um, get you one more in. Cause he ended up bringing in Cody Stashak, who's a Cody's improved. He's not a strikeout guy. Mm-hmm. He, his, his strikeout rate ticked up to 10.2 per nine innings this year. Mm-hmm. But he's not hes not a flamethrower, and he's gotten a little bit better. But he tried to get two innings out of Stashak and almost did it, but then Correa hit the home run against him, and it kind of blew up Rocco's plans there. So I, I just think I'm, – I'm old school. You know, I sit there, I talk to Jack Morris and Frank Viola and Burp <laughs> time, you know, and they're, they're, they're cursing how pitchers are being used these days, you know. 
So that kind of influences my my theory sometimes. Yes, I know Jack Morris has some opinions on the matter. Yes, um, he does. So there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about on the postseason series before we get to the other topic and looking ahead for the Twins too. But Byron Buxton didn't start game two, and I was shocked, and I followed what you and some of your colleagues have written. It, it, do we still not really know what happened there, why he didn't start, why he was – it seemed like maybe he wasn't really available? Because I feel like as Buxton goes, to some extent – so goes the Twins' offense. Uh, I, I think that's a fair statement, Keith. I actually believe that when Buxton is playing well, he, he, the, the Twins go from being B plus to A. You know, mm-hmm. he has that, that effect on the lineup. Um, we still don't know, and I've talked to the Twins about this. I was like, can he at least release a statement telling us how he felt? Because this is going to linger during the entire offseason, and it's going to be the first question we ask him in spring training, actually, mm-hmm. if we're allowed to talk to him. For, right. <laughs> you know? um, from six feet away. It's, yeah, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to linger. And, you know, we don't, want, we don't want something like that to linger. But the, clearly something was wrong with him. Um, some people thought that he looked a little weird in game one when he played. And then mm-hmm. when he came in off the bench, he sat in the dugout in game two with sunglasses on the entire game. And then came in. So, you know, conspiracy theory, I'm thinking, did he have a migraine or something? You know, I'm trying <laughs> to figure this out. But I, I, once again, you're leaving us to use nonverbal communication, try to read body language to determine what's wrong with someone, which is not the way to go. So I, I'm still talking to the Twins about, can we get Buxton to say something about what he felt before game two that did not allow him to start that game? Because everybody's going to know why. Yep. So that's a good way to segue into something you wrote last week, I guess, right after the the their series ended. You went through the entire roster. Uh, it was called, and it's on StarTribune.com. Player by player, look ahead. Will they stay or will they go? Because I think it's fascinating for two big reasons. One, just because I think they have a lot of decisions on players to make. And also because we've seen with Derek Falvey and Thad Levine there too, they're willing to churn the roster a little bit. They're constant. It's like, to me, it's a continuous improvement process. And that often means making moves with players you might expect them to hold on to, which makes them interesting. It doesn't always necessarily produce the ideal results, but it makes them fascinating to watch too. So let, let's talk about a few of those players. And we could start with Buxton too, who I love and I think has still think has superstar potential and sort of had a bit of a weird year this year with barely walking, with hitting for all this power. But the biggest thing to me is once again, he was hurt a lot. And I just wonder what are they, obviously he's not going anywhere, but what do you do with a Byron Buxton where you know he's an MVP type player if he could play every day, but you also have to think we can't bank on getting 150 games out of this guy. I know, and the Twins have been trying to figure out if they can make his uniform you know, out of rubber. <laughs> you know, but but uh, seriously, they've tried techniques with Buxton, and the biggest thing is him running into walls and diving after balls. And so, um, one, they have him playing deeper. It's like more than 15 feet deeper this year. He took mm-hmm. played much a much deeper center field, so it cuts down the, the time it takes him to get to the wall. So apparently he won't be hitting there at supersonic speed like he normally does. Right. It allows him to get to the fence and maybe gather himself. And two, they want him to jump with two feet. More often than not, Buxton had a habit of launching himself off of one leg when he's trying to make catches. And mm-hmm. if he works on jumping with two feet, he's got a better chance of jumping straight up instead of into a wall. Mm-hmm. So those two little techniques they've, des- they've tried to get him to employ to try to avoid him crashing into walls and injuring himself. That mm-hmm. did not stop him from suffering a shoulder strain when he dove for a ball, though. Right. You know? um, and then he had the midfoot sprain during um, the inter-squad game phase during summer camp and when all this kind of came to a head about him jumping with both feet. And, and he admitted it's a hard adjustment to make because he's been used to doing something 
the same way for so many years. So he's been trying to make that adjustment. Um, other things, and then he gets hit in the head. You know, it's not his fault that the guy lost control of a pitch and came up and in. So it's a combination of him hitting the walls and then other unfortunate things that happen during gameplay that he really can't be blamed for. That he's, he's got this long medical list now. And when he's on the field, he impacts the game so many different ways. Um, and the home run, the home run tear he went on this year, I think he had like eight homers in September, mm-hmm. eight in like 12 games or something like that. It was just ridiculous. Um, and then I asked him, I said, are you a power hitter now? I said, I, no, I, my question was, Byron, if we play 162 game schedule once again sometime in the future, mm-hmm. steal 30 bases in a season first or hit 30 homers in a season first? And he said, steal 30 bases. I said, you have one stolen base right now. <laughs> and, it, and so then he, he laughed. He says, well, I'm not getting singles. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just true. Everything's been a homer. So, mm-hmm. so he hasn't been getting on for it, and he doesn't walk. So he's going to have a weird stat. He's going to have a weird slash line, the way he's trending. Because if, if he's liking the home run thing and he, he shows that power more often, you may see a guy with like 30 homers and like just low singles, you know, with yeah. just a speed. He, he, it's going to be a weird thing. But um, what can you do? You can't give up on the guy because the tools are off the charts. Mm-hmm. And he works hard and he tries to make adjustments. One of the most interesting things in that article that you wrote was your outlook on two particular players that were tied together where you discussed Eddie Rosario trying to make some adjustments, but it really didn't translate to more damage. Is he really, your quote was, is he really a $10 million a year player? You predicted he'd be with another team in Eric's Karloff, who I absolutely love, think is their best prospect hitting or pitching you'd think he's the starting left fielder and I'm not disagreeing. I would actually really love to see that, but tell me about that. Where do you see Rosario? What is the organization thinking on Rosario at this point? Why do you feel like they might be ready to turn the page? Well, when I said, when I wrote that, is he a $10 million a year player? That was what a twins official asked me (laughs) about when we discussed it. It's a good question. So they're wondering themselves uh, if he's going to get this arbitration bump up to that level and, uh, are they willing to pay him that much money? Um, because in order to, he's still arbitration eligible, so they'd mm-hmm. have to tender him to let him go. I mean, or maybe try to find someone to trade to that wouldn't mm-hmm. mind paying that type of salary. Eddie, the thing about Eddie is that his hand-eye coordination is ridiculous. His bat-to-ball skills are crazy, and he swings at everything. Now he everything. Drew, <laughs> he drew. He drew. He did draw. He drew more walks this year. His walk rate was up. He said, "I'm going to try to take better at bats," but it was selective. I think he goes to the plate going. All right, I'm going to try to take – I'm going to have a good at bat here. But I think other times he goes up to the plate, I would say 75% of the time he goes up to the plate going, I'm hitting the ball wherever it's pitched. You know, mm. the crazy thing is he can do it. He pulls it off uh, a <laughs> many times. And he was better in the outfield. He racked up some more assists this year after a couple of years where he kind of tailed off. And the thing about Eddie, is, too, is that um, he's one of those guys, he's going to give you the – he's going he's to um, give you the middle finger if you pull a knife on him. You know, he is not, he's a fearless guy that you want in a foxhole with you. He homered in his first major league bat. He homered in his first postseason at bat. You know, he's just that guy you think that he's going to step up. And when the lights are bright, he's not going to, he's not going to, um, he's not going to fall apart. So he's got, he's got that going for him. But, you know, if you have a good farm system and you're having a steady stream of prospects coming, these are good decisions to have to make because Kirilov, to me, deserves to be in the major leagues. I saw him in spring training, and just through my 23 years covering the Twins, I remember the first time I saw Maurer Morneau in spring training. I'm like, my goodness, these guys are the real deal. Uh, two years ago, I saw Luis Arise in spring training. I was like, this kid can hit. You know, you know, you, I keep hearing about these guys. I'm having, like, my personal top 10. I got Arise, like, 12 or 11th, you know. 
And as he misread transit, okay, this kid's legit, but he doesn't hit for power, but you see the skills there. Then spring, I saw Kirilov and Trevor Larnick uh, in spring training games. I was like, these kids get Kirilov swing is a thing of beauty. His father, yeah. da- David, is a he has a hitting school, and he's if you follow him on Twitter, he talks about spatial recognition. He's deep into all that stuff when it comes to uh, hitting the ball. But Alex has a great swing. Uh, he can drive the ball to all fields. I think there's home run power there. And um, it, it, I don't think he's as fast as Eddie. It's, it, defense has never been mentioned as a strong suit with him, but I think he could be functional. Um, so if you get in a situation where you, want, you don't want to pay $87 million and you want to spend $10 million and maybe go after a, a free agent starting pitcher, hello, Trevor Bauer, <laughs> then you move into, you move into Kirilov and hopefully you don't skip a beat. So, um, yeah. But I think that's going to be one of the – that's going to be a big question. I think you want to get Kirilov in the lineup. Um, and right now where Eddie's at, Eddie may have to be – if they have, if for that to happen, they may have to do something with Eddie Rosario. Yep. Bauer would be a great fit in Minnesota. And so while you mentioned – history of Falvey. Yes, he does. And I think his sort of mental approach to pitching would probably line up really well with a lot of the Twins' uh, player development philosophies all the way up to the major leagues. Looking ahead to that, Bauer is going to be interesting because I would imagine that the White Sox would be at the front of the line, mm-hmm. someone like Bauer, because their rotation drops off after Giolito and Keiko. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't keep putting Ronaldo Lopez in, the three, <laughs> in that rotation again. No. <laughs> yes. Um, now, Dylan Cease made some improvements, but I can see the White Sox – and with their resources, uh, making a big play for Bauer. But Falvey's relationship with Bauer, you know, could could help. Um, but let's see. I'm I'm spending other people's money, and we're we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know how that's going to affect the free agent market this offseason. Yeah, that's I'm that is my sort of next major project is trying to look yeah. at ranking the free agents in in a year when we don't know how much money there's going to be out there. Do a lot of maybe a lot of guys sign one year deals. Uh, you mentioned, and so the Twins have a couple of pretty critical guys heading for free agency, Nelson Cruz being one of them. Uh, and you thought he they would be able and willing to bring him back, which I assume just given his age would probably just be a one-year deal or I don't know, maybe do one in an option or something. But mm-hmm. given how productive he's been, you know, I my only question would be, do they, how much competition is there for him? Or do you think he's happy enough in the situation there and been productive enough that they'll just work something out before he even gets out to the free agent market? Nelson told us uh, after the, the game two that he wants to come back. And mm. Bobby told us two days later that they want Nelson back. So it sounds like uh, they will be renewing their vows here for at least another year. Mm-hmm. But if I'm Nelson's agent. I am telling Nelson, um, the National League probably is going to have the DH next year yeah. again. Um, that's 15 potential suitors. You may want to just play the field a little bit and see what you can get out of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would. And it looks like if he drops off, I mean, you're always worried about someone his age and when the drop-off is going to happen. Probably will be one, but it's still, I think he'll still be functional enough as a hitter to, to be worth, uh, worth uh, uh, one year, maybe 12 to $14 million, which he made this past season. He likes it in Minnesota. He's got his nap room. He likes the roster. Um, Minnesota has a lot of things going for it in terms of keeping Nelson. And I would expect him to be in a Twins uniform next year. But just looking at it from the other side, too, you got a bunch of National League teams that don't know that are going to be looking for DHs. And you may want to kind of look around, too. Yeah, I have a, I have a nap room right now. I'm actually in my nap room <laughs> right now. <laughs> They're, they've got two 
starting pitchers heading for free agency. I know Jake Odorizzi wasn't uh, wasn't really healthy this year, but you sort of predicted, and, and I agree with you, that you know, given his body of work, how good he was in 2019, he'll probably find plenty of suitors. And obviously Rich Hill was hurt and did, wasn't able to deliver for the Twins. Uh, do you think they try to, or are able, really, better, better way to put it, are able to bring either guy back? Do you see them trying to go to the trade market? Because if they lose those guys, and it, your prediction seems like they will, they're going to have yeah. a lot of innings to replace in the rotation. Absolutely. And that's going to be a concern for them. Um, I've not heard any, I've not heard anything from the twins in terms of showing any interest in bringing Odorizzi back. Mm-hmm. No, that Jake wants to stay in Minnesota. He likes the city. He doesn't mind the, the cold weather. Uh, kids like it. his family likes it. He likes the clubhouse. Um, he would not mind staying here, but you and I both know too, once a player gets his uh, six years in, and you become a free agent, you're going to explore all options. You want, you're going to want to get wine and dine. You want to go visit different organizations, talk about pitching philosophy. You know, the only reason to compare what's going on in the pitching room with Minnesota with some other teams and, and see how they approach things analytically. You know, he's, he's a big, uh, what's it called? Randy, Randy Sullivan's pitching camp. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. a pitching camp guy. I mean, it goes there every offseason. So he likes talking about that stuff. So I don't. Rich, Rich Hill's a tough, that's a harder one to read. I would imagine Rich would probably want to come back. Um, and given he stayed relatively healthy this year, he just had that weird um, uh, he had that weird injury during the season that knocked him out for a week or two. But his elbow was fine; it was sound. Coming off that, uh, it wasn't Tommy John. It was the other the binary the procedure where you reattach the ligament to the bone instead mm-hmm. of suturing it. As, if it's torn by the bone, you can reattach it to the bone using a piece of tape. <laughs> Sorry, I had to talk my way into remembering. It's called primary repair. Okay. So he he his elbow held up during the year. But if you look what Falvey and Levina done, they like signing guys for like one or two years. Like two years ago, they brought in Lance Lynn, mm-hmm. Logan Morrison. They tried the one-year deals, and they didn't work out. They went back to the well again this year, and they brought in Rich Hill, and they brought in Tyler Clifford, and they brought back Romo on a one-year deal with an option. And, and so I would imagine they're like you pointed out, they're not afraid of turning over the roster with some of these guys, but um, I can see Rich Hill and Jake both wanting to come back. I just don't see both of them doing it. And I, mm-hmm. and those two, if you ask me which one of those two are more likely to sign with the twins, it might be Hill just because the twins don't have a lefty. And it's like having another pitching coach on the staff right now, the way he has uh, worked with the yes. younger and work at Wes Johnson used to send rich would send Rich out to watch a guy throw in a bullpen during spring training. I have Hill come back and report to him instead mm-hmm. of to check out that picture. That's how much Wes uh, liked working with Rich. So I, I think there could be a chance that Hill comes back, but I wasn't, I didn't have enough information to, to say that he could be back in that article. So I just, uh, I was just going on the past performance of the front office and saying mm-hmm. it would be elsewhere in 2021. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about, again, from that great article you wrote that's on StarTribune.com, I encourage people to check it out. Uh, Twins have an interesting dilemma with their catching situation, where Mitch Garver, huge breakout guy last year, uh, 2019 that is, got off to a slow start, got hurt, and he's 29 and obviously has caught a lot of innings, mostly in the minor leagues. Then Brian Jeffers, who was their third-round pick a couple years ago, always hit, always made a lot of contact. I've heard the defense just kind of improves, improves. He's always going to be a bat first catcher for me, but I think he catches fine. Um, yeah. He looked really good. It was a tiny sample, but sounds like they were impressed. I liked what I saw from him. 
you think they may decide to hand the job to Jeffers and trade Garver to another team, which I could see working because there's never enough catching. I would imagine there'd be a lot of interest in Garver as long as he's healthy. Yeah, he's a silver slugger winner from last year. Um, mm-hmm. There's, I, I think they're still working that one out. I think they're also considering a scenario when they start the season with both mm-hmm. guys So and, and just use both of them. But spring training, um, we're in Florida, and Rocco Baldelli is telling us about how much he likes Jeffers and that if – we, if they needed him to start for a two-week stretch during the regular season, we would have no problems calling him up and putting him in the lineup. I was going, wow, this guy hasn't played above double-A yet. You know, mm-hmm. They were that impressed with him in camp. And, yes, he was a bad first guy, and he's continuously improved his defense. And that's something Garver's had to do, too. Garver was the guy who's had to work on his defense um, during uh, his minor career as well. Mm-hmm. So Jeffers got the call. He was not overwhelmed. Um, solid behind the plate. Um I think he he blocks balls better than Garver, so I think pitchers are a little more comfortable throwing breaking balls in the dirt in front of him. Uh, he's a little more uh, he moves better behind there. He moves a little bit better behind the plate. Um, and offensively, you know, as he got more at bats, you know, he started making hard contact and and taking good at bats, and it, you can see the offensive potential that Je- Jeffers has. It's a great problem to have when you have two starting catching. Uh, uh, starting caliber catchers on your, on your roster. But um, I, I could easily see the Twins just handing the keys to Jeffers. And if they can get something for Garver, even though that the, the one person I talked to about this you know, said, the thing is, though, if we, if we move Garver, it's pennies on the dollar right now because he's coming off of, off of a down year. And the Twins, I'm not just saying recently, but covering the Twins for 20 years, I've seen them sell low on guys and not get a lot in return. So maybe that would fuel a decision for them to keep both the guys and go into the season and then maybe make an adjustment at, before the trade deadline. That's that's, just, that's an interesting point, too, because it's not that they have to trade Garver, no. right? There's no reason other than that they have a replacement. Like, if they fill, uh, hypothetically, if they put Garver out on the trade market and think they can get a quality starting pitcher in return is around the same, you know, in terms of service time, they could do that. But it's not like they're trying to get rid of Garver to save money or something. No, because he's not making a lot right now. Right. So they can afford to keep those both those guys on the uh, on the roster, and um, if one goes down, the other guy can take over for a couple of weeks. Um, yep. Or they can alternate. I don't know. You know, it's a good problem. Let's say it's a good problem to have. Um, and, it, and, it, and yes, if both those guys hit, someone's going to want them, and maybe the price would be higher uh, the next trade deadline. Yep. I have to ask too. I was just I just pulled up your Twitter page so I could read. Tell everyone where to follow you on Twitter too. Are you a bourbon drinker? I see bourbon is like the top tweet on your feed right now. And you were complaining someone had too much ice in their bourbon, which I agree. Do not water down good liquor. No, no. One cube of ice. Most, if you think yes. those ice balls go that yeah. way. And, um, and if you drink a scotch, just drop two drops of water in the scotch. It opens up the flavor. There you go. So yes, uh, I do like bourbon. Um, uh, I try to hoard Blanton's whenever I can find it. It's one of the tougher bourbons to, to find on the market. So I have my business card at like three liquor stores and they're supposed to contact me whenever they get Blanton's in. Because it usually is gone within two or three days once it gets there. So uh, I've driven an hour outside the Twin Cities just to get blends. Oh, wow. That is dedication. I mean, I'm, a, I'm more of a rum drinker and I have a couple of distilleries that particularly like I do not. I am not quite at your level of dedication to a specific brand. I am very impressed. Uh, Derek Shelton. Have you ever talked to Derek Shelton? Talk uh-huh. about bourbon. Cause he's a huge bourbon guy. Ah. Uh, and we used, we used to just have discussions about bourbon all the time. And did you try this? He came up with like uh, there was one called Widow Widow Jane I never had so I went out and bought Widow Jane it was very good so um, 
He's he's a big bourbon guy. So if you want to get on his good side, either bring him a bottle of bourbon or talk <laughs> about bourbon. <laughs> Excellent. I, I, I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> My guest today has been Lavelle Neal. He covers the Twins, has covered the Twins for more than two decades for the Star Tribune in Minnesota. You can follow Lavelle on Twitter. It's L-A-V-E-L-L-E-N, as in Nancy, E-A-L. And I encourage you to check out that player-by-player player breakdown he did of the Twins roster, should they stay or should they go, which appeared last week on StarTribune.com. Lavelle, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Keith. Take it easy and stay safe. Before I wrap up this week, we lost another baseball great. What a terrible year this has been on so many fronts, but we lost Bob Gibson in the last week, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, an icon for so many reasons, an icon among Cardinals pitchers, an icon just within baseball history. An icon is one of the great black pitchers in baseball history. And there's been a pretty long-standing bias that I think still exists to some degree against allowing black players who are perhaps multi-talented to remain on the mound. There's always a push to make them position players instead. I did meet Bob Gibson once on the backfields in Glendale, Arizona at the Dodgers facility, watching minor league games. He was just there with a friend. They were just taking in some minor league games, which is always amazing to me. It's just some guys just have the bug and they never lose it. My one overwhelming impression of Gibson was less about his personality. He was friendly enough, but he was definitely giving me a little bit of a hard time too, especially because I mentioned, perhaps this was not the most politic thing, but mentioned hearing about him from my parents, especially from my mom who talked about what a fierce sort of menacing presence he was. You did not want your team to be facing him at any point during the season or the postseason. The thing I could not get over about Gibson is he was big. And when you've, if you've met many old time baseball players from you know the sixties and earlier, uh, or even the seventies and earlier, they weren't big. Like today's players are big. The, the average size of baseball players, and particularly the top end of baseball players, whether we're talking about height, weight, girth, whatever dimensions, players have gotten bigger, as people have gotten bigger, but athletes across all sports have gotten bigger. But Gibson must have been particularly intimidating to hitters of his era, because my guess is they didn't see a lot of pitchers who were his size and who had his shoulder width, his hands were big. I imagine he really got seemed like he was getting very close to the plate. The ball was just coming from behind your ear if you were a right-handed hitter. He was sitting down, and I was standing in front of him, and I could not get over how big he was, which it just sort of confirms the legend. This guy was really intimidating. Obviously, he was intimidating because he threw hard and because he wasn't afraid to pitch inside, but I wonder if part of that was just, hey, this guy's big at a time when baseball players maybe weren't typically that size. Imagine having, you know, say an Aaron Judge on the mound at this point. We haven't had a lot of pitchers of that kind of size who are just that much bigger than everybody else. And somebody, obviously, I never played pro baseball, but I would imagine that seeing someone like Bob Gibson, who looks like he's going to throw it through the back of your head, probably kept your feet moving a little bit too much at the plate. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining me. Please wear your masks. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs>